Welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio, the one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. I think pretty much I start every episode with saying how excited I am to have the guest on the program, and I'm genuinely excited to have the guest on the program. Today, it's a little special for me because I have a personal relationship with Jen. Let me tell you how that began. So the first time I met Jen, as I recall it, you can keep me honest, uh, was in her office. She was on the marketing team at Polycom, and they were just about to take that journey into getting marketing automation. And this is circa 2007. I think that's right. It was either 2007 or 2008. Yeah. I I mean, I started the company in 2007, but in your office, I'm not sure which year it was, but it was a long time ago. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember this, but you said to Jill Rowley, the infamous Jill Rowley, who was a sales rep, who's this guy? Why why is he here? Because she had brought me along, and I remember explaining. And look how far we've come to who's this guy and why is he in my office to the friendship that we have today. But for those who don't know, uh, who've never bought a marketing automation system, I don't think that's too many, Jen was doing her homework. And it was very clear, Jen, during that sales cycle that you were not just thinking about you know, the shiny new toy. You were thinking about the entire organization, the impact this tool could have, the training on your team. And I remember after you made the decision, very shortly after that, you went into training mode and ramping up the entire field marketing organization. And I remember standing in that very cool Polycom room with all those different TV screens and all your different uh, members as you were doing uh, training. So those are my fondest early memories. Uh, I think the on the more personal level was joining you for the reception of your wedding and the world's largest paella dish. And um, those are some great, great <laughs> fun times to remember. I don't remember me saying that, but that does sound like something that I would have said. It sounds like you a little bit does. <laughs> it does. Guy, why is he here? Um, we've come a long way. <laughs> over that over that time, you know, Jen, as you know, I've watched you um, make some changes in your career. You left Polycom, a large company, incredibly successful company, and took risk going into the land of MarTech. And you ran uh, integrated marketing. You were the VP of integrated marketing at Demandbase, uh, based out of San Francisco. So you pivoted onto the MarTech side of things, and then you went back uh, outside that area over to Plex Systems. And then you and I had that conversation as you drove home one day and you said, you know, I really want to be a CMO. I think that's my next thing, Dave. What do you think? And I shared my thoughts on that. And you found a new home for yourself. And you are now the Chief Marketing Officer at Ignite. You've been there, uh, I guess, a little over seven months. So congrats. How's it going? It's going really well. And by the way, thank you for always being that counsel for me when I'm thinking about what step I'm going to take next. I really do appreciate that. Absolutely. Uh, but you did give me good counsel and lots to think about, which I'm sure we're about to talk about now. Uh, but in terms of my uh, stint so far at Ignite, I'm very happy. I have no buyer's remorse. I'm excited every day. I'm learning a ton. I am you know, developing new muscles. And I'm supported by an amazing team of peers and a strong marketing team. And we have tons to do a really great market opportunity to take advantage of. So I'm very happy that I'm there. If people have ever, you know, really listened to the podcast and hear some of the stories I tell, 
you are buried into one of them. I didn't mention your name, but I talked about the people who decide, do they want to be a head of marketing operations or do they want to move into that CMO role? And the advice I gave to Jen at that time, like I just admired how much, uh, how competent and what a great marketing operations leader she had. I'm like, why don't you just keep doing that? Keep crushing that. People like Scott Burns, who I've had on the program, you know, like you're just so good at that. And you said, like I, like you said, I want to develop new muscles. Like I want to, I'm capable, Dave, of getting to that next level and doing that. And I want to take on the challenge. And so I'd ask you, even though it's only been seven months, what have been some of the highlights of of moving into that role? That that things that you wanted to do that you're doing, and maybe some surprises as well. Well, I guess the surprise is always the magnitude of things that you have to learn that you don't know. I, of course, that should have been obvious, but that, you know, when I step into a new role, no matter what it is. So from the time that we've known each other, it's not just been a little bit of evolution, right? I started off only managing marketing operations, but at a very big company. Then from that point forward, I had taken on responsibility for all of the demand marketing, integrated marketing programs and operations. And so those were two functions that I had married together. So I was directly responsible for pipeline and revenue generation, uh, partnering with sales and running the operations of marketing. And then this time, now, of course, I have the full breadth of a marketing organization to, uh, to manage and uh, extend. And so I will say that I have only had deepening respect for the other parts of marketing that I've never directly managed before. Mm. So I've always had a healthy uh, appreciation for brand and advertising and all of that awareness, you know, getting into the consideration set of your target market. But I would say now that I'm directly managing those things, that and product marketing, it's another function that, of course, I appreciate that. But now that I am directly managing those arts, I would say I have much more respect and admiration for people who are very good at those specialties. They're extremely important. And the process of creating customers and and keeping them happy and all of that cannot be accomplished without those functions. So I've really deepened my appreciation for those areas of marketing. That's fantastic. I would, you know, constantly say, especially to align sales and marketing, like walk in the shoes you know, if you're in marketing, <laughs> go make some sales calls. Go really shadow one, shadow someone through a sales cycle. Go watch how they have to use the CRM to track their pipeline. Go sit on those pipeline calls with their managers and report in how their numbers are doing. Hear a manager say you're missing quota and how that feels like to be hearing that you're failing in sales because you're not hitting your quota and vice versa. Um, go come up with a new logo or a brand campaign or uh, you know, it's a social media graphic and see how people react when you show it to them. Um, it is so helpful to walk in someone else's shoes. And I'm glad you're experiencing that. You know, you've had some phenomenal mentors that have um, taught you and, and been role models, but also people, I'm sure, where you said, hey, if I was in that role someday, which you are now, here's what I might do differently. Do you find yourself getting mentally pulled in one direction? So, right, you have this phenomenal marketing operations and technology expertise. And now you're responsible for the brand. You're responsible for the website. You're responsible for all content campaigns and programs. In fact, one would say you're probably responsible for the customer experience, right? And that alignment across Mm -hmm. sales and product and service. So do you find that you're now in these new responsibilities, you know, 
putting yourself gravitational pull wise into them or still having a, a tendency to lean towards the, the places of comfort for you? That's such an interesting question because I was sort of given guidance that said, you're going to have a natural tendency toward those things where you have spent so much of your time in the past and to try and resist some of that and make sure you're spending your time in the areas where you haven't necessarily had all that depth and strength. But the reality is uh, at our at our situation at Ignite, we had some critical functions that were missing, but we also had some very strong established functions, one of which is operations. And so interestingly enough, from a technology and measurement perspective, I'm in an incredibly strong place, not just because the leadership at Ignite is so uh, talented, but also our approach is very sophisticated. So it's not like I came in and thought, oh, no, we're not doing anything in a grown-up way. It was quite the opposite. I have access to data that I've never had access to before. And so it, it did that. all of that strength in the team and strength in the process allowed me to spend time in these other functions where I really need to uh, dig in and make sure that we're creating the, the direction that we need to move forward. The other thing that's funny is the demand portion of the organization literally did not exist. There were demand activities happening, but they were happening across all of these organizations where it wouldn't normally happen. And so I did have to right off the bat create a specific demand organization and pull that kind of work out of the other parts of the org, give them to the demand uh, team. And what that did was free up all these other teams like operations, like product marketing, to actually do the work that they were hired to do, which has helped all of us move forward pretty handily. Cool. Well, let's focus on that today because I think there's two things that people can take away from this program. One is that career ascension and hitting that fork in the road and saying, do I stay down the technology and operations path or do I want to go uh, into you know marketing leadership and have greater responsibility? So I think we've covered a little bit of that and you were clear. You're like, I want to rise to the pinnacle of my career. I don't want to have artificial ceilings or hurdles uh, that prevent me because you are very driven and very capable and you went for it and you're doing it. And I think, you know, a year, two years, three years from now, you'll have all those lessons where you'll go, this is what I love about it and why I continue to do it. Or this is where I've now moved because of all those lessons learned. But I would love to focus in on the recipe for the foundation you're putting in place, right? You're the new sheriff in town. You're looking at your people. You're looking at your processes. You're looking at technologies. You just talked about that function. And I'm I'm not guessing because I know, but you brought the lovely and talented Erica Johnson onto your team as well. And so for those that don't know Erica, uh, Jen and Erica have worked together now at Ignite. They've been together at Plex, and they've also been together back at Polygom. So you're assembling the team of your tried and trusted uh, you know, teammates. And so let's talk more about the people, then get into the processes that you're identifying that need either updating or additions. And then we can end with tech, because n- none of the tech matters until you have the other stuff. So tell me about the team approach. Okay, so first I'll start even taking a step back from specific team to talk about the functions. When I looked at Ignite, the marketing organization, even before I was on, I noticed that there were you know, some typical organizations that might exist within a marketing function were, did not exist here. And that's literally because there have been a change of management, there have been some middle management layer that has left. And so they were, the team was just doing this amazing job of sharing the work that needed to be done, but it wasn't getting done in the places that you would normally expect it 
to be getting done. <laughs> so uh, the three things that were missing, which are very interesting, were um, a customer marketing organization, first of all. And we are a SaaS business. We have 14,000 happy customers. And we derive about 60% of our revenue from our install base. Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a team that was solely focused on um, you know, engaging and, um, you know, creating loyalty and making sure that those customers were uh, receiving the value and communication that they needed, that they had all the channels of communication with the Ignite team, that they were talking to each other, all of that good stuff. And also making them aware of all of the things that they can do in the product that they don't know about and anything new that comes out. What I will tell you is it wasn't a completely ignored function. There was one poor person who was trying to do all of that work. Wow. And it's just such a big and important job that it's, it's much bigger than one person can take on. She did a very, very strong job uh, as much as one person can do, but she was constantly having to shift her attention from the community to the newsletter, to a big customer event, to another, you know, so that's a, that's a lot for one person to carry. So we created this concept of uh, a customer marketing organization. And one of the interesting conversations that I needed to have when I was building out roles and responsibilities was, should I put demand creation in that same organization, the demand creation and pipeline generation revenue that comes from our install base, should that be in the same organization as the people who are responsible for just the cultivation of value and engagement and networking and loyalty and all of that kind of stuff. And at the end of the day, uh, I decided to separate those two things. I think you and I talked about that Mm -hmm. the other day. Mm -hmm. So really the demand function that I have is, is that uh, organization that's going to be, you know, partners with sales in all the different selling teams, whether it's install based or new logo, they're going to be attached to, to the sales objectives and they're going to be looking to create pipeline and revenue. But that cultivation of the customer relationship is going to happen in a different organization. And, and that will be for the customers, for the lower funnel, the 60% of your revenue and such, correct? Well, I mean, yes, the 60% of the revenue, but their their stated objective isn't about revenue generation. Right. It's about, about engagement with customers and cultivation, yeah, yeah, keeping our customers, which is luckily we're good at keeping our customers, but making sure that they're receiving value and that they can even um, accomplish, you know, they can network with each other. There is a new title, still relatively new title, emerging. We're seeing it show up. Uh, we've seen so many new titles in marketing, and that is of the chief customer officer. Um, not necessarily even mm-hmm. saying it's in marketing, but the chief customer experience officer. And when you think about, you know, today, like take a, you know, let's just take a very simple consumer product. You and I were talking about consumer products, B2C stuff the other day. So let's let's take DoorDash um, for those who've never used it, you know, food delivery application. You can download the product on your phone. You can pull it up and look for restaurants nearby, find something you want to eat have a driver go pick it up and deliver it to you, um, all from the convenience of your hand. That that experience, while it's on a mobile device, that experience covers marketing, sales, service, you know, as in delivery, customer satisfaction. So somebody's looking at that entire journey and experience that a customer goes through, they can look at all the different parts of the organization and quarterback how to take all the friction 
out of that process. Friction, I don't mean tension. I mean like make it easy to buy, make the menus easy to sort through, make it easy to select what you want, make it easy to pay. In my case, I used Apple Pay and make it, uh, you know, have a great service delivery, send text messages as they're heading out or the food's being made, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, you and B2B with a platform for cloud-based file storage and stuff, that experience manager, does the experience start before you're a buyer? Does it start when you're in the buying process? Where does that, do you think, in today's, or in your environment, where does the experience start? Well, it starts way before the purchase, of course, uh, because it starts with, like, how did the prospect at that time, or, you know, just someone out in the world, even become aware that you exist? as a brand or as a company? And then how did they form an opinion about what is it that you do and what kinds of problems could you solve for them? So I do think it starts, again, back to that brand conversation. It starts with how your brand is presented in the marketplace, how you become aware of someone. If you think about consumer product goods, I'm sure there are many companies that you have either become aware of them because of some positive comment someone has made or some negative comment that someone has made. And that forms your first thoughts about that organization and then things progress from there. So in terms of customer experience, it starts from the very first moment that you become aware of a, of a brand Mm -hmm. and everything that happens from that point forward is a part of that customer experience. And when I've done, when we were at Plex, we did a really great program. It was run by uh, Chris Bishop, who's the head of the customer success organization uh, at Plex. And he actually worked with a, a consulting firm and we mapped the entire customer journey from very beginning all the way through. And then we looked at where we had the most opportunity to create improvement in that relationship. And we prioritized a roadmap of how we were going to approach that, um, that customer experience. I think that's a really healthy way to do it, but yeah. it begins way before someone buys. Well, cause then you can think of all the touch points and the interaction points along that and think about where you might use email or outbound and inbound and mobile and, uh, experiential marketing, you know, event marketing and, you know, everything to think about where that is. And it was, I mean, so much has changed just in the past 11 years since we have mobile devices and devices, you know, it's not just the mobile devices. We're talking to a company that does printing. And when I say printing, I don't mean like direct mail printing, like they print, you know, fabrics and they print, they actually can print furniture, if you can believe that, corrugated paper stuff. And they're talking about their technology, the printers, which are phoning home. So they're thinking about the printers being out there now and saying, up, oh, I'm low on supplies or up, oh, I have a part that requires changing. So putting that information back to HQ so that the proper either service people, salespeople, whatever can um, reach out and provide that to them or auto delivery of renewals and, and that type of stuff. So you know, it spans, it spans everything. Draw if you can in the circles. Like, I don't know if you're there yet, but like if you, if you were to draw, I'm going to call it an accountability chart. You, I think you have a circle for product marketing. It sounds like you have a circle Mm -hmm. for demand. What are the other functions, key functions within the marketing org at the highest level? Okay. So you're right. We have uh, product marketing, demand marketing, customer marketing, which I just told you about. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, we have marketing operations and data analytics, which I want to talk about because the last thing you just talked about was a lot about data and insights from data. And then we have a corporate marketing team, which is responsible for their brand stewards, of course. Like, how are we going to talk about ourselves? How are we going to look and sound? And that includes creative service, corporate communications, and um, 
also the website all there. So it's the experience of all of our visitors on that website um, as they experience our brand and interact with that, all the content that's there. Um, so those are the main boards. Um, and what, what you would just were saying about um, understanding all those interactions and how you can, basically you were talking about using data to provide insights back to customers. That's something that I can do at Ignite in a really interesting way because we actually have a data science team that rolls up through the marketing organization, mm-hmm. um, which I'm learning is not very unusual, but I've never had that happen before. Mm-hmm. So in addition to this data science team being about the transactional marketing and selling experience, this sort of data that we're all pretty accustomed to having access to at this point from an operations perspective, this actually has a giant uh, data lake that we've created that has in it product utilization data. So if you think about that from a customer experience, the fact that we can look and see, hey, construction customers who are doing these types of activities are getting this type of return, we should let the other customers know that those um, activities yield terrific return and we should make sure that they understand that those possibilities are open to them too. That is a way, leveraging that data and providing insights back to customers is a way that we can add a tremendous amount of value in a way that I haven't been able to do in the past. Very cool. Um, for anyone listening, I want to make an offer that if you want, I have some slides that show those high-level circles of departmental functions as well as some of the sub-functions. So if anybody wants those, just reach out to me on LinkedIn, and I will get back to you on that and send you those graphics. But I think it's helpful when you look. I call it an accountability chart. I think I've talked about it on other programs because I don't like org chart because then it has you start to think about the people first. And it was great, you know, you going in there, like the people weren't the factor. It's like, how do I want to structure the main pillars of my marketing organization and then talk about the roles within that and then talk about the people that are in there? Um, I'll, I'll add on to your offer to you, Dave, because yeah. I, what I call that is a functional organizational chart. Yep. And so I actually have a, a slide that is a description of my functional org chart. So I'll make sure I get that to you after this call. And then if anyone wants, they can have that one, too. Awesome. All right. Uh, onboarding. So you've now gone through an onboarding process. I mean, probably that, that journey doesn't stop till at least after a year. I think you guys have brought on a new VP of sales or head of sales. What, what's been some of the helpful steps that you would recommend someone do either for someone else or make sure they do in their onboarding process to help you get so familiar with the org, right? Not just marketing, but the entire org and the, the strategy and the customer base. What's, what's been working for you there? So are you talking about my own onboarding, what was most helpful? Yeah. Well, I think I've done this pretty much everywhere that I have gone in the last little, whatever, last decade or so. But for me, the most helpful thing is to just set up so many interviews with people with whom I'm going to be working when I get to a new place. And it takes me a while to have context to even understand each of those conversations. But I would say my first three weeks solidly were me just reaching out and meeting with obviously the leaders within the marketing organization, but also people in customer success, people in the sales organization, finance. Uh, you know, I need to understand our procurement process, how my budget works, what were our processes in terms of HR, onboarding, recruiting, everything, sales ops, all that good stuff. So even engineering, I spent time uh, with our engineering team in Poland, which was really fun, by the way, and, and exciting to see how our product is developed and how we approach the roadmap and all that good stuff. Nice. So for me, the most value was in those conversations. But I will tell you, when you're new, you have to sort of, you have to hear everything a couple times 
because probably only a small percentage of what you're hearing the first time you're learning actually goes in. <laughs> so I was lucky in that I got to participate in um, a roadshow with my fellow executives where we went around and told our own story over and over and over again. And I will say that somewhere in the process of telling our story and hearing our story repeatedly, a light switch flipped for me. <laughs> And I, I actually started to understand things at a deeper level. I, I suspect it was a combination of the time I'd been there, the things I had learned to date, and just a lot of repetition. But I did I did sort of just submerge myself in everything I could. So I tried to learn as much as I could about the product and about the people and our customers. And at some point, it just starts to click. I still feel like I'm learning every day. Yeah, it helps to get out of HQ and to be out there in front of customers and partners and such. Um, one of the things you were sharing with me was that, you know, kind of this horizontal product, right? And that you have these 14,000 mm -hmm. customers and that, you know, when you when you took a look at the data and you started saying, you know, is there anything, are there any clusters here? And you found that you guys fall into like five different industries. What are you going to now do that you've realized that you're you're penetrating certain industries very well and maybe not others? So, okay, so what really happened was we have these 14,000 customers and all that data that I told you about. So even before I started here, there started to be some pattern recognition. And what we learned was that of our 14,000 customers, 50% of them fall in very neatly into five industries. <laughs> and they're, they're sort of sub-industries. Mm -hmm. um, and so we were, we were surprised to learn that. But at the same time, when you really think about it, our product and our solution is a perfect fit for those industries because of the way that they do their work and the needs that they have. And so it makes great sense. The reality is we have a horizontal product which can help every enterprise. Uh, it has already resonated with horizontal messaging and horizontal approach for these five industries very, very strongly. So what we're doing now, and I don't think we've mentioned this before, but Ignite targets small and medium-sized businesses specifically. And so what we're doing now is we are making decisions about where we want to place horizontal message and where we want to be more specific and create, you know, named target accounts in these key industries and develop really keen insights about what do those profiles look like? Who are the persona uh, that we interact with? What do they care about every day? And placing very specific verticalized message for them. And we started that by rolling out to one industry with one sales team. So we're piloting the concept, but I can see ourselves in a place that by the end of next year, that will be named for the, the upmarket part of our business. Um, and we'll be focused on those five verticals. And who are you guys competing with primarily in those markets? It's a really interesting conversation because we the platform, we haven't talked at all about what Ignite does, so that's kind of important too. So Ignite provides a content services platform that allows businesses to manage all of their content in one place, and it's cloud master. So the possibility is that you can replace and you know do without all of your CapEx investment in your on-prem data centers. And with that, you can also enable collaboration and insane data protection for all of your most secure files. When your files live in one place, you can audit them to see like, am I, for example, am I HIPAA compliant, FINRA compliant, am I GDPR compliant? All of these things are possible to monitor when you've got your content all in one place. Um, and so the answer to your question is complex in terms of who we compete against because our customers come to us from many different directions. By the way, the company is 11 years old. Um, and so initially, 
when people were bringing uh, products like, you know, collaboration products like um, Box or Dropbox into the business from their homes, mm-hmm. the consumerization like uh, that that sort of lent itself into business. So people would start saying, hey, I'm using Dropbox to manage my pictures with my family. I'm going to try and use this at work. It sort of legitimized this experience of, of collaboration with businesses. But then because those products are created for the consumer, enterprises would bump into problems. There were all these different implementations. I mean, this may be the case with many of our listeners, but there's probably companies that have lots of different collaboration solutions in place, including, you know, you might have things in Google Drive, you might have Microsoft products, you might have all different kinds of places where you're storing files in your business. In places where I was before, it was a combination. Mm -hmm. So in your head, even as a marketer, but for any function in a business, you're trying to think of, okay, where is this asset? Where does it live? Is it in my intranet? Is it in this file server over here? Am I sharing it through some other collaboration solution? And our, our solution offers the promise that it can all be stored in one place that's seamless to the user, but then it can be centrally managed by IT and, and controlled so that you can be looking for bad behavior and making sure that um, you're, you're complying to all the regulations that you must. Uh, and that's really hard to do when everyone has their own little instance. So we can compete with many different technology vendors who provide on-prem solutions in addition to anybody who provides even a a consumer-based collaboration platform, but we're really built for the business. Cool. Talk about um, tech stack. You know, you, uh, especially in your Mm -hmm. former role, your phone, I'm sure, and email uh, ring off the hook and flooded with MarTech companies wanting to show you their tool sets. And like like I mentioned with Demandbase, you were in that (laughs) community for a while. Um, what are your thoughts today on the MarTech stack and how to approach looking at, you know, just like you're rounding out your team and building out that functional chart, uh, you guys are going to need to sunset some tools, I imagine, and get some new ones and maybe uh, enhance the use of, of some. What are your thoughts as a CMO now around MarTech, advice either that you have for fellow marketers or MarTech companies out there? Well, I don't think I'm going to say anything that's very surprising here. Uh, It's just that the marketing technology landscape has gotten so crowded. It's hard for anyone to keep track of who is best in breed for this, that, or the other thing. And for me, marketing technology in and of itself is not interesting. It's all for a purpose. What is the thing that I'm trying to accomplish? And with this many vendors, what's become confusing for me, even someone who's lived and breathed this stuff for a long time, is trying to make the fewest purchases possible. How can I make technology purchases with vendors who I trust, who I know can help me be successful and not have to Frankenstein my architecture? Like how can I have the least possible vendors and accomplish the most that I need to accomplish? Yeah. Um, it's really tricky. So having um, to take, so first of all, being clear about what you're trying to accomplish is a good place to start Yeah. because the technology only enables your strategy and your whatever you're trying to measure and accomplish. So we're doing a lot of that kind of evaluation. As I mentioned before, we have a fairly sophisticated tech stack already, but now we're taking a critical look at it and saying, are there places that we can make you know, best-in-class decisions and extend um, the use of certain solutions so that we have less, less solutions that we're juggling and trying to stitch together? So there, that's always a juggling match. Do you choose the very best uh, at a very specific task, or do you choose something that can help you meet a bunch of different needs? And we're evaluating technologies right now against those two uh, criteria. 
The tools that have come out, like you said, it's so crowded. There are so many, and even the Venn diagrams overlap a lot. You know, as I cluster mm-hmm. the various marketing technologies, as we explain it to our clients, you know, there'll be the data enrichment tools over here. There'll be the engagement or interaction tools over here. There's the the marketing automation system, kind of the table stake stuff with with CRM and marketing automation. There's the website publishing tools project management tools. There's so many, like you said, it's very hard to, it's very hard to segment unless you're doing this, you know, 24 seven, uh, and focused on it. And then it's even harder to know the overlap between them. And I, and part of that is just the marketing in MarTech is so confusing. And I've, I've covered that on a few programs. Like I think the MarTech companies are not helping anyone by explaining that their product is an ABM solution, almost like a category. It's like, we're food, we're, we're a vegetable, and because vegetables are important, you know, or we're a protein. And so they lump themselves in that category, but it, it still doesn't help you understand anything more. It's what you said. I need to know what problems I need to solve, and then I need to go find a tool that's going to solve that for me, as opposed to I want to just learn about a shiny new toy in a category maybe of interest and then try to figure it out. So the messaging in MarTech... Um, it's definitely got to get crisper, and we've got to, people have to separate um, and distinguish themselves between the different tools and their unique value prop. Let me um, ask you one last question, or unless you had a thought on that. I did have one quick thought, which is um, I, our approach right now, we're looking at predictive analytic solutions at this moment, mm-hmm. um, and it, many of them do much more than just that. Yes. Right. So it's exactly the situation we were just talking about. So they do predictive analytics and they provide us the kind of features and functions and performances that we need for those specific uh, goals. And they do a bunch of other stuff that is sort of related to that to that to those needs. And so how do you conduct a selection process? What I have to say is this is all all goodness goes to the leader of my marketing operations team at Chalu on this and his team is conducting this evaluation, and they're very clear about how they're approaching it. They have very clear things that they're looking for of a predictive vendor, and they have articulated them very cleanly. So they've got a list of vendors that we're evaluating. They're going to evaluate them against the predictive needs that we have very specifically. And once we have scored them against each other in that area, then we will also score them in the other things that they do. And at the end of the day, we'll be able to weigh all of that together to make the best choice that we can. But we're starting with the basics. Like the real thing that we're trying to do is solve this particular problem and we know how to define success in that area. So I really appreciate the approach that they've had there. You know what? I I love that though about you. I forgot about that until you heard those words again, which is you take a very scorecard approach to evaluating the technologies, right? It's almost like a job candidate. You, you know what you want, you have the role and responsibilities for that tool, uh, and then you bring the vendors in and you you know score them and rank them and you try to take a lot of the emotion out of the buying process or you know who's the best rep or which people do I like because you know that can sway decisions and you make it about the tool, the functionality and the score against the team. I think it's a great approach. I don't, I don't see a lot of people do that, Jen, surprisingly enough, take that kind of methodical approach to evaluating. Well, that's interesting. I will tell you that you had something to do with that. You and the original sales rep that I had for Eloqua when I purchased way back when, in 2008 or whatever that was, I was sort of getting, um, I was evaluating several different vendors for a marketing automation solution at Polycom. And I remember that I was getting attracted to some of the shiny object uh, features and functions of some of the competitive solutions. And actually, I think it was Debbie Rapson who said to me, hold on a second. 
Like, I understand that these things are interesting to you, but that's not what you originally said you were looking for. These are the criteria that you said were important for you to judge. And they really just got, and she was dead right. So focusing on the actual deliverables that you need from a solution and solving the problems that you came to the table for, it's even harder today because there are so many shiny objects, but staying focused on your real objectives is critically important. Nice. I'm glad you brought Deb back into the conversation or into the conversation because I said Jill earlier, but I meant Deb and it was Deb that I was there in that meeting with you. So Jill, if you're listening in, you don't get credit for this one and that's going to really hurt her. But you know what, Deb Rapson, if you are... (laughs) All about you, Deb, and miss you. Haven't seen you in a while. I'm pretty sure Jill had something to do with that engagement, too, so they can both have a little... She always gets herself involved in every (laughs) engagement, a little bit, yeah. Um, I'm going to ask a personal question, if that's okay, and uh, I'm going to ask it anyway, and then I just have to cut it out of the program if you don't want to answer it, but I I think it's a good question. (laughs) Um, Here it is. So you've made this career decision to be CMO, and you're definitely all in. That's the only way that you are. How will you know when this decision was the right decision for you? Well, that's an interesting question. Um, so I, I spend zero of my time uh, doing shoulda, woulda, coulda in my life. Like it actually, it, it does you no good, right? So this decision is made and it is a good decision for me because I'm going to be learning through this experience. Um, I already, I, I'm a hundred percent clear that this was the right decision for me. I, my big struggle comes from like when I'm about to make a step. So that conversation we had where I was in the car mm-hmm. thinking, do I want to do this or do I want to do that? That was where the, the critical decision for me happened. Once I decide that I'm going to do a thing, I'm going to do it. Um, like you just said, so I'm already very, very happy with my decision because I'm having the experiences that I was looking to have. I'm expanding my scope. I'm looking at things in a new direction. I'm learning every day. I have new appreciations of the functions around me and uh, my partners uh, and new perspective. I'm super energized. For me, a lot of my happiness at work comes from being of service. Mm -hmm. And I feel like I'm able to be of service in a way, like with a broader scope in an organization. Um, And I was ready for that. And so I feel like I already made a good decision. Well, I am so proud of you. It's been fun just to work with someone who's so goal-oriented, whether it's those internal project goals that you've had. I remember you putting your first dashboard, and you're like, darn it, I'm going to build a funnel, and I'm going to figure out how to operationalize this in Salesforce. Like, I know it's not built this way, but we're going to figure it out, and you did, and you're just so driven and so goal-oriented, and here you are achieving your career goals. Very proud of you. I hope to see you soon. I haven't seen you in a little while, but I'm glad we had some time on the on the program, and we'll keep track of your success and your team's success. Give Erica a big hello for me. If you guys are not connected with Jen, she really puts herself out there. She's constantly on the speaking circuit, um, sharing her recipes of success and her thought leadership, but connect with her on LinkedIn. I'm sure she'd be happy to exchange more information with you if you want career advice or um just lessons of success. So Jen, thank you again for being on the program. Thank you for having me. And thank you for being a constant support to me, Dave. I really appreciate it. We'll always be there for you. Always, always, always. Yay. All right. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, took some great ideas away from your career path and some lessons for Jen. And hey, go connect and get a new colleague in your network. That's going to do it for this episode. We'll catch you on the next one. Take care. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, 
thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. 